My name is Michael Hildebrand, and I am the director of the Upstate Mobility Alliance. We are a nonprofit focused on making the upstate of South Carolina a vibrant and connected region in the areas of transportation and mobility. Today, we have Dr. John L. Brooks, Associate Professor in the Clemson University Department of Automotive Engineering with us. Good morning, Dr. Brooks. Good morning. So thank you for being here. Why don't we begin uh, first with you just telling us a little bit about yourself and why you became interested in transportation research. Sure. I'm a human factor psychologist, and what we study are individuals' capabilities and limitations. And my background um, in high school and college is I worked with individuals with developmental disabilities and traumatic brain injuries. And I saw firsthand some of the obstacles that the individuals that I worked with had getting into cars, getting out of cars, and just accessibility in general. And also realizing that the driver's education that was available at that time didn't really meet the needs of those specific users. So I was really interested to see and answer some of the questions like, why are some people, some senior citizens comfortable driving at night when others are not? Um, what are the challenges that families have if they have a loved one who has a disability traveling in the car? And most importantly, are there ways that we can help people stay in the car as long as safely possible because of the, the tremendous impact that happens when someone loses the ability to drive? But also, are there ways that we could teach individuals to drive where driver's ed and, and the traditional driver's training was not quite the right approach. Yeah, and I think you know, one of the most important things I learned when I was in graduate school is that great things happen at the intersection of dis different disciplines. So while I am a psychologist by training, working in an automotive engineering department and having our labs um, within hospital systems, it really lets me see what are those boundary points where there are gaps and then how do we overcome those gaps? That's great. So let's talk a little bit about the work you do in keeping people safely driving for as long as possible. What have you found in some of your research and are there some infrastructure improvements that you think could happen that would improve safety and help those people stay driving as long as possible? Uh, definitely. So I would say, first of all, I really focus on the human rather than when most people think about the infrastructure, they think about the roads, they think about um, the physical vehicle as in the powertrain and things like that. Um, and, and by focusing on the human, what that allows me to do is work with both engineers and medical professionals to think about, okay, what are the modifications that we need to make to vehicles to make it where more individuals are going to have success either driving that vehicle or riding a pass as a passenger in that vehicle. And maybe that's in the front seat and maybe that's in the back seat. And that's a, a very different situation for different types of clients that we work with. But on the other hand, working with the automotive engineering students, it really helps open their eyes to think about, you know, who are the end users gonna be? Because when you talk to a young, healthy male graduate student, which is what most of our students are, is young, healthy males, they think about race cars, they think about Teslas, they think about Lamborghinis, and they don't necessarily think about, you know, the mom who's driving a minivan who is pregnant and has a two-year-old and has a four-year-old. So the types of activities that we do are a lot of day-in-the-life situations to help the engineers think about 
who are the end users of these vehicles really going to be? And then how do you design for that specific type of user? Or how do you broaden the base that you're designing for? And at the same point, it also uh, we focus on who's building the vehicle. Because if you think about somebody who's been working on an assembly line, their hands and their fingers are going to be very strong and likely have uh, bigger fingers than somebody who types on the keyboard for their career. And at the same point, who are the mechanics that are going to be working on these vehicles after the vehicle is built and there's some kind of a problem. So looking holistically through the entire vehicle development phase and thinking about who are all of the individuals who are going to be interacting with that vehicle is a, you know, is a different type of a mindset of looking at infrastructure than looking at uh, bridges and roads and things like that. You also mentioned that you work a lot with the medical field. And, and I know one of the things that you've been involved in is developing driving simulators for teenagers, um, as well as people who are having to relearn how to drive or maybe drive in a different fashion. So what are the things that you've learned through this work? When we started this work, it's been a decade now, and that's hard to believe, first of all, as we are really focusing on seniors and how can we keep seniors in the car as long as safely possible. And thinking about somebody, uh, thinking about an individual after they've had a stroke or maybe after they've had a heart attack or a hip replacement with different kinds of complications. And when we were doing this work and this research, it was the same time that there were a lot of wounded warriors coming back who had traumatic brain injuries, blast injuries. Um, and at the same time, we started working with young adults with developmental disabilities, whether it's somebody who is very high functioning on the autism spectrum, or whether it's somebody who may have some cognitive deficits and the parents are trying to make the decision about is, is driving appropriate for my child. And what we realized is the types of interactive exercises and driving scenarios that we were developing could be used for very different reasons. So we have some tasks that, that teach you how to uh, modulate your pedal usage. And for older adults who have diabetes, it's really good to determine if there's peripheral neuropathy issues with the pedals. With wounded warriors, it was a great way to teach somebody who already knows how to drive, how to use hand controls if they no longer have their lower limbs to operate the pedals. And with young adults with developmental disabilities, it was a great way to teach, first of all, that pedals exist. So I think one of my, my big insights is the number of people that was really surprising to me of aren't aware that there's pedals. And if you think about the, the generation that I grew up, you know, there wasn't entertainment in the car. We had to entertain ourselves. We could sit in the front seat at a, at a much younger age and we would watch mom and dad drive. And with the technology that exists today is you can entertain your children by watching movies in the minivan. And when they're a little older, you can give them an iPad or an iPhone. And it's quite possible if somebody doesn't uh, ride a bike or um, isn't playing video games that have a pedal set, that they're completely unaware that pedals even exist. So I think some of those, those insights based off of the technology that young people use now 
versus the lack of the technology that I had growing up has, has really been an eye opener. Sure. You know, I remember whenever I was a, a kid, one of the things my dad would do is occasionally he would ask me, what street are we on or what road did I just turn off of? And I learned pretty early on to pay attention to those kinds of things when I was in the car. And, and so I've done that with my son. And you're, you're exactly right. It's because they have so many other things to pay attention to. They're not paying attention to uh, those kinds of things that, that you and I did uh, at, at their age. So that's interesting that you mentioned that. Let's look a little bit at the future of transportation. I know you work a lot with vehicle design and those kinds of things. So I'd like to get your thoughts around technology and are there technologies that are being put in vehicles that you think will make the driving experience safer or maybe the reverse of that? Are there things that we're doing to vehicles that maybe uh, we think are actually safe, but really going back to the point of technology, make it uh, more dangerous. You know, I think about all of the stories and articles that you read about the, what happens with the Tesla safe uh, or the, the autonomous driving feature and people making the assumption that they don't need to pay attention at all. So uh, I like your thoughts on that. What, what are some of those things that are actually making it safer? And then, you know, what are some things that are actually making it more dangerous? Well, I think again, as a human factor psychologist, I think about the human. And I think the greatest danger we have right now on our roadways is distraction. Whether that's from a cell phone or whether that's because you're having, you know, a heated discussion with your spouse or a heated discussion with your child in the back seat. That if you look at the, the data for fatalities and crashes right now, it's, it's the human being distracted and the human making poor choices like drinking and driving that are our biggest danger still. And then when it comes to future technologies or, or new technologies that exist now, I really think about it from the accessibility perspective. So what is the benefit of having backup cameras for an individual who has a spinal fusion and can't turn their head? Or what is the benefit of blind spot detection for somebody who may have um, difficulty turning their head. So I like to, I guess, look at the glass half full rather than glass half empty perspective in thinking about the technologies that exist now that are allowing people to stay independent in a very safe way that didn't exist 10 and 20 years ago. I think the other one is it's an amazing time to be working in this field because we look back of when there was a transition between from horses to automobiles. And it's like we're at the brink of one of those great monumental changes again. Of what is that transition going to be from an automobile to a fully autonomous vehicle? And how are people going to be able to use their time so differently? So when there was the change from the horse to the automobile, you had the benefit of all of this new time. It didn't take as long to travel from one place to another. And again, I think for the, the population that I work with is the benefit of having a completely new level of accessibility that was never possible before, but then also that gift of time. So instead of spending your time, you know, driving for 45 minutes on your commute to work, how are you going to use that time? Are you going to relax? Are you going to be talking to your friends? Are you going to be working? Um, so, you know, it's just, uh, for me, it's a very exciting time to think about the the what's possible that has just never been possible before. 
I think that's a good point. And then also, you know, back to your point earlier, making sure that whatever is designed continues to be accessible to everybody. So currently you're doing research on human factors that impact ride sharing. And first, uh, I'd like to ask you, what is ride sharing? What's your definition of ride sharing when it comes to this research? And then why is this particular research of interest to you? So ride sharing is simply when you share a ride with someone else, or else it could be like an Uber or a Lyft when someone is driving you from one location to another. And we think about individual ride sharing where you're the only passenger and also pooled ride sharing where there may be other passengers that you may not know. Um, so the reason that ride sharing is so important for me is again, because of the accessibility perspective but it's also really fascinating to look at how, you know, our young college students at CUI car use ride sharing versus attitudes from people who are my age versus, you know, my parents' age in ride sharing and how that's very different and when people use ride sharing. So right now ride sharing is used most frequently to get to or from the airport and to get to or from uh, a night out on the town. So I think for us, what is, it's really an exciting time to look at this because it's one of the first studies where we've looked at the human element of ride sharing. So there's been a ton of research so far as far as uh, what is the environmental benefit of ride sharing? What is the impact of ride sharing with the number of vehicles on the road? What does that do to gas consumption and things like that? But this is one of the first studies that's really looking at are there barriers to ride sharing for different ages of individuals or individuals with different streaks and strengths and weaknesses? And we need to identify what are those? So then we can design um, to make sure that those are either addressed or if it's something that is already addressed, how can we maximize that situation to make it even better? So you'll part, at least part of your research will be a survey that you'll start on July the 12th. Talk a little bit about the survey and maybe where can people go to take and participate in the survey? Sure thing. So the survey, um, first of all, it's a national survey. So it's not something that we're doing just in the upstate of South Carolina, but we've partnered with JD Power and that way we can, we can conduct this survey at different locations throughout the United States. So we can see how in LA or in Atlanta is different than the needs of uh, riders within the Greenville-Spartanburg area, for instance. The other one is um, it's a computer-based survey, so it's online. So if someone is interested in participating, they can simply go to our website and that website is www.cuicar.com backslash study. And if there's an individual who is not comfortable taking a survey online, they can call our lab at 864-283-7272. And we can do the survey more as an interview. And if anybody has any kind of questions, they can contact us at that phone number. Again, it's 864-283-7272 or by email at icar at clemson.edu.